are listening to Tech Reads, interviews with emerging technology thought leaders. Our sponsor is SoftTech, the premier technology trade association that has been serving Northern Santa Barbara and San Luis Obispo County since 1997. Our mission is to create soft tech moments where people connect, explore ideas, and create new business opportunities. Learn more at softec.org. So this is an episode of Tech Reads uh, sponsored by SoftTech, and we are here with Michael Gunther. Michael, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, uh, I'm Michael Gunther. I'm a founder and senior consultant at Collaboration Business Consulting. Uh, I've uh, been an entrepreneur my whole life. I grew up in a family of uh, 16 siblings. So I have 10 brothers, six sisters. And if you wanted to do anything, activities, movies, what you had to earn it. So you were the youngest. I was number 14. Okay. So I have three younger siblings. Uh, and so early on, um, I've always been an entrepreneur. My best friend, Sal Compatelli, and I would have every kind of business you can imagine. We had donuts, make Sal's donuts. We had a neighborhood newspaper, put on carnivals, all those things. Um, and so I've always kind of had that entrepreneurial spirit. How about your parents? My parents? No, they, my mom was a housewife, but imagine with that many kids. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and my dad, More than a full-time job. Yeah, my dad was a, a technical engineer, they called it. And he worked at uh, ABC TV and he used to fix all the equipment when we breakdown and they called his office the broom closet so uh um and so out of all my siblings i'm the only entrepreneur which is kind of interesting uh but i grew up i went um put myself through high school i went to a private high school i put myself through a private college um at Loyola marymount and then i got my first job out of colleges with procter and gamble and talk about the opposite of being an entrepreneur. Mm. <laughs> You're a cog in the wheel, right? I was, and I it was not a good cog in that wheel. And uh, I'll never forget, after about a year, sat down with my boss, because, you know, life's short. you got to really enjoy it. So I went in the next day, you know, Bob, you're right. Life's short. Here's my notice. i got to go do something else. And I got on with an amazing company about a year later called SureGuard uh, Storage Centers. And we became the second largest storage operator in the country. Um, They're very entrepreneurial. Uh, The guy who started as a history teacher and uh, we all earned shares and stock in the company. And by 28, I was uh, one of their regional vice presidents or we'll start the Southeast. I ran a $40 million division. They loved education. They paid for my master's in psychology, got certified at Myers-Briggs. They they're Good amazing. old corporate days. Yeah, it was an amazing organization. And so um, after we went public, I told my boss, I'm going to leave after we go public. That was getting too big for me. And so we went public. And um, next day I gave my notice and uh, started collaboration back in 1994 in Atlanta, Georgia. And they were my first client. They called me up on the Monday after I left and said, hey, can you help us with some projects? So I they actually helped fund my business first couple of years. Well, that uh, makes a big difference. Yeah, in fact, I'd say that's a common thread I hear from a lot of entrepreneurs. Is you still got to have that one anchor to help you get off the ground. Even when I started my business, I think it was one of my uh, one of my interviewees offered to buy like four hundred books, and he said, "Is that enough to help you get started with this idea?" And I said, "Let's do it." 
<laughs> so, you know, that little seed, like yeah. something much bigger. So that's great. Yeah. So it's, it was interesting. I had met this woman named Kathleen Astier, and she uh, mentored under Michael Gerber, who wrote the E-Myth. I interviewed Michael. Yeah. And so she trained me how to use all my knowledge and create a consulting business. Mm-hmm. And um, and in Atlanta, I did a little bit different. I would take on a key role and then find my replacement. So the last job, I ran a software company for about three years, built the management team, found my replacement and decided to move back to California. And uh, they wanted me to continue running it. And I said, no, I'm going to go build my own business. Uh, and moved here in 2003, didn't know anybody, except our realtor was the only person we knew. Mm-hmm. And decided uh, I wanted to work with small businesses and entrepreneurs and really help them have an impact. And I was missing it as I got larger companies, I wasn't seeing my impact. And so that was kind of how collaboration got collaboration business consulting that started here in 2003. It's been 20 years. I can't believe it. <laughs> and pretty much just been slowly, organically growing all that time. Have you gone through any like we're like anybody okay. else? You know that roller coaster of growth. Uh, you know, especially like back in 2008, 2009. Yeah, that. it was interesting. To that time, we had a lot of people coming to us for different issues. Um, and our projects were much smaller. Um, and so we had a lot of volume, but smaller uh, projects. Okay. And we were I was no different than any other entrepreneur. I was going yeah. through my own struggles. You know, I'm teaching everyone how to build their businesses. I'm going, it's like the college kids that doesn't have shoes. I was kind of like, why can't I build my business at the same pace that I'm helping everyone else build their business? Um, and so I went through all those same challenges and struggles. Um, to the point that in 2013, my husband and I decided to take a sabbatical. Um, it was our 20 year anniversary, 10 years of being in town. Um, and, um, I thought when I came back, I was going to close the doors. I was just burnt out. I, you know, I just lost the core of what I would love to do. Um, well, and a lot of people stay there for a long time, right? But how do you get out of that burnout? Like they talk about burnout, but they never talk about what happens if you don't get out of burnout. Yeah, I can tell you, if it wasn't for that sabbatical, mm-hmm. those eight weeks off, um, I think I would have closed my doors that year. Okay. Um, and I'm working on my next book right now is called The Sabbatical. Um, and how to make that happen, even small sabbaticals as well as large. But our minds need a break. And um, I was off the grid the whole time we were gone. So I had no email, no TV, didn't read papers. Did you walk the Camino? Yeah, you should have. We did a lot of walking and drinking in uh, Europe. But about midway through, I realized I actually liked what I did, but I lost the vision of why I was doing it. And I got caught up in a software tool called Work Traits, many people know. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're its largest... um, uh, reseller of that tool. It was, it was going to be my reoccurring revenue, right? <laughs> that was a big thing uh, for everyone to create. And, but we're not a software company. Mm. We're a consulting firm. And so when I came back, we ended that relationship. We got back focused on consulting. And quite honestly, we now are at um, five times larger revenue been most consistent. So we grew this year 35%. And we're just, I sit back and it's like, gosh, I'm working less. I have a smaller team. And, 
And we were just, it, every year we've just been um, growing and getting better. And part of it is I needed a break to step back and remember what's important and why we were doing what we were doing. The big picture stuff. The big picture stuff, but then how do you implement it? Mm. Um, and so I think that was also what made me write Me to We. Right. So the book we're talking about today is Me to We. And Michael published this a couple of years ago during the pandemic. I was at his book launch. He oh, still yeah. pulled it off, but kind of a tough time to launch a book. I won't lie. That's people weren't, everyone was struggling with that. But um, it definitely resonated with me because I've been a solopreneur for 15 years. And I've failed like a lot of other people. I mean, granted, my business model maybe doesn't lend itself to scaling. But at the same time, um, this whole idea of going from me to we uh, appeals to a lot of people like me. So why don't you tell us a little bit more about how this came to be and what yeah, you hope people you know, do. One of my goals was to write a book one day. It was on my list. I don't know list. why, but I know I'm going to write a book one day. And so I think it was the uh, sabbatical I took got me clear on what I wanted to write about mm -hmm. and kind of my own journey. But um, when I came back, we have helped. We've worked now with 650 organizations, 5,000 leaders. Uh, and we started to look at, I was curious, is why do some organizations, when we stop working, continue to grow and thrive and others don't? And why do some leaders, we work with them and they just can thrive and others don't. So it was just this curiosity. So we went and started to research past clients mm. and, and look at everything from personality styles and why did they come to us in the first place and what were their presenting issues. And um, we did some research with uh, uh, Northwestern, Harvard, trying to understand why some business owners can really build their dream into a reality and others never get beyond that dream. And I was going through the same thing. So it was kind of, as we we're going through this research, I was starting to look at it internally as well. And I call it, you know, you may have heard this term, but why the entrepreneur is killing their business. And because an entrepreneur, you manage everything, you do everything. Um, no one could do it like On you your do back. it. Your backpack gets heavier and heavier. Yeah, and, and no one can do it like you do it. They don't have my experience. How can they do consulting like I do? I have all this other experience and knowledge. And and so, um, but I learned that we have to become uh, leaders of thriving businesses. So it requires this transition to happen. Um, part of it's your ego. You know, um, I call it chasing sexy. So, you know, entrepreneurs are usually creative folks. And they're and you all, get a lot of accolades, right? For being the guy in charge. Being? That validates your ego, sort of boosts your ego. Everything. Every decision. You, oh, I'm the problem solver. Right. Um, there's a great book by Greg McEwen called Essentialism. And he studied all the companies during the dot-com boom and bust of the late... Dot-bomb. Yeah, dot-bomb of the late 1990s, early 2000s. And he found that the leaders that really learned um, how not to be the problem solver, but to teach other people to be problem solvers were the companies that thrived. But think about it. Think about it. You get promoted or your success comes from you making decisions and from you moving things forward. Um, but you can't, all of a sudden you become the bottleneck because everybody's been coming to you. Your company's too big. We see this all the time. These companies can't get beyond a certain layer of growth and they're just stuck. And part of it is the owner, the leaders are not shifting how they're managing. And it's a, it's a hard thing for people to shift. 
Because mm. um, sometimes they don't know what their new job is. All of a sudden, wait, that was all my task. Other people are doing it. What's my role here? And, and they're consumed by their business, right? Like that is their identity. Yes, it is. Um, and and so it's uh, the journey to the book was really about trying to outline some of these things that hold people back to build a real in order and help people help to build a thriving environment. Um, uh, and it's a mindset, right? I mean, it's a shift. There's, I used to say, you know, there's the employee and there's the owner, and like to make that shift from employee to owner, it's a huge shift of beliefs. I mean, it's almost hard. A lot of people can't make that shift. Well, and a lot of people want their employees to act like owners. Mm. But if they could do everything you could do, they'll probably go start their own business, right? The goal is, and a lot of people don't want it. I've had so many clients want to give their people ownership or equity. People are like, I don't want that responsibility, mm. you know? Um, but they want to get behind a, a big dream or a vision. And so when we did all this research, we did discover to me, all the things that either break or build trust within that working relationship. Because at the end of the day, if you're going to grow a business, um, you need people um, who are dedicated to your vision that are going to help drive it. Um, Greg Hine, who's a local entrepreneur for many years, well, he's passed uh, probably a decade or so ago. I'll never forget, he came and spoke to a group I was leading. And he was uh, said, because everyone's like, I don't want to manage people in good luck. It's never easy, but if you have this big dream, you're going to have to learn how to. <laughs> he had a vision bigger than himself. That's right. And and so that was part of it. And in order to do that, what are you doing to build trust with those folks? Mm -hmm. And there are seven core things that are either breaking or building trust. And so part of the book begins to define what those are. Think about this. Employees come to you and they have armor on. You know, they've worked elsewhere, maybe with bad leaders or challenging leaders, and the trust may not be there. And their goal is to hopefully take that armor off. But if we don't do things uh, a certain way or treat them a certain way, they get chinks in that armor to a point where they want to leave the organization. And I, and I know it's kind of cliche to say, no, it's all about the people. But the reality is, I tell these business owners, these people are building your wealth. And this is the way you're treating them. <laughs> these people want to help you get their dream and vision together but you're not giving them any direction or accountability. Um, and so it, it's been an interesting journey. Um, and these seven core areas, you know, the, they're not complex things, but they're hard to um, apply. Um, and I want to address one other thing you talked about, uh, Brian, too, is behavior. Now, all of us on our team have psychology backgrounds, either undergrads or masters. Okay. And so we either have a master's in psychology or business, but our undergrads either in business or psychology. Half the work we do, we can give you all the processes, the tools, the systems, almost, uh, my team thinks it's like 60, 70% we do, it's actually trying to get leaders to be better people and leaders and change their behaviors, change the way they communicate, and really move forward on building that team that they've always envisioned. Which takes time. Takes time. Which entrepreneurs are, are impatient. <laughs> yeah, and a framework, you know, let's just put this in place and all of a sudden start to see some changes, right? Yeah. But the, the soft skills and the, the mindset and the psychology piece, I'm sure, takes some time. And, and even still, it's probably continually correcting what's going on and what are you using, like feedback? And Yeah, we, uh, we try to measure everything. 
So um, through that whole research, we created what we call the Clever Leader Assessment. It's a 360 assessment based on those seven core areas that are breaking or building trust. And so we're able to measure, is the leader getting better in um, managing leading the organization? And then we do all the other measurements. Are they, is their profit growing? Is their debt going down? Are their sales consistent? Um, and so one thing is, one thing we know, and I, it's kind of interesting, I almost think of ourselves as uh, implementation consultants, because a lot of consultants can come in and tell you what's not working and assess, but we really say, okay, how do we now implement and make the changes? And then how do we measure to make sure those changes are done? And you know what? Employees, good employees want accountability to measurements. We have found time and time again, like people have a hard time holding people accountable, but employees want to be held accountable because for those people that aren't performing, they're going, I'm being, the, being the, treated the same as this person who's not performing. So why should I perform? And so people want accountability in the workplace. It shows up constantly. Well, in our fair, it's a fairness, right? This fairness. The big corporations. I mean, I worked at IBM for a while, and that was one of the main reasons I left is the fact that people were taking credit for things they didn't do. Mm-hmm. And the people were actually doing the work that weren't good self you know, playing politics or self-promoters got passed up for promotions and credit and didn't get the credit right? because they didn't take the credit, but they did the work. And if you were looking at the metrics closely, you'd know who was the first account manager who went into that account, who grew that account, you know, not the person who came in. That so. That's also, um, I think it gets back to the leader's role. Mm. Um, there's a little diagram we have, and it's not, we've, manipulated over the years, but it comes from many sources. Situational leadership has one similar. But it talks about your role as you go in the organization, how much should be on strategy and developing your people, and how much are your day-to-day technical tactics that you're doing. So the day-to-day technical is very small. It's mostly strategy, what's going on in the marketplace, how is our business doing, do we need to change that, are we headed in the right direction? And the other part is, how are my people doing? What am I doing to develop them? And so without clear one-on-ones, getting together where you are in the numbers, coaching them through. Um, we had a client once, uh, their sales were down 43%. And the owner came to us and they wanted to fire the whole sales team. We're going to just start over. It's the sales team. Right? Clean slate. Clean slate. And so I met with the sales team people, you know, the whole great team. There's 10 of them good people, they were lacking coaching, structure, accountability, goals. We started to bring those in. They ended up growing from about 9.5 million to 20 million over a two-year period. Not a single salesperson had to leave. Mm. And we got rid of the sales manager (laughs) who was managing them because there's no management or accountability going on. And I think people, the term manager means to manage. So if you're a manager, most people don't want to manage. They think it's micromanaging. But if you're managing towards an outcome, and if you're not achieving your outcome, what needs to change? Is it a skill process or strategy? And most leaders don't realize that's the role that they could be playing. Business owners, I think, miss the boat all the time. They don't have time. Look at the 2008 recession, the Great Recession, right? Um, How many business owners waited to make the tough decisions? Um, and, you know, the 2008 recession, it was, if you were paying attention, you knew it was coming. Mm-hmm. It actually started December of 20, 
2007. We didn't fill it to 2008. Um, there's a company I know that um, the gentleman was reading a newspaper on a plane, and, was, and this was in 2005, and seeing everything that was going on. And there were some stats he was reading about housing and the market. He goes, oh, this is changing. He went and sold his business. They're a big home builder. Sold his business, sat on the, sat with that money, and in 2010 started buying up all these commercial properties that were going under, all these other things, because the stats were there. Hmm. And so when I think of business owners who are in the day-to-day, -day, when I talk about strategy, they need to be spending their time also strategy what's going on in the marketplace. So like we have clients, we're looking, what are the key indicators on a national level, on a local level that they need to be looking at on a quarterly basis that may impact their business? And so I'm trying to get them to be proactive and looking 12, 24 months out saying, hey, this is happening. Right. What can we do now to, if the market's shifting or our uh, regulation's shifting? What do we need to do to be competitive and be able to stay? And so that's where the owner's role needs to shift. And I don't think most people know how to do that. Again, we're used to tactical doing things. Right. So we've got a live studio audience in the room, and I didn't I want to give you guys an opportunity to thank you for coming today. If you have any questions, because Michael's been through so much, and he has helped, I'm hoping to touch on some of the, the companies he's helped take to like the next level. Halfway specifically is one that I'm very impressed with, what, what you guys did there. But why don't you uh, chime in and ask Michael one of your own questions? Jeff, you've known him for a while. Yeah, and... And frankly, I don't have a lot of questions because Michael's helped me grow <laughs> several companies and has been more efficiently helping us with the Chamber of Commerce and some of our big questions for the future there. Right. And um, yeah, and I've just been a beneficiary of Michael's work for many, many years and really appreciate Anything it. that stood out specifically that he's touched on over the years that you sort of have stuck out about well, his approach? Well, just I love. To me, it's a, it's a healthy way to grow and develop a company. You know, just everything you've just been talking about, it just it's just like music to my ears. You know, taking care of people, taking care of customers, driving accountability, telling the truth to each other, and you know, admitting your mistakes. It, you know, admitting when not doing the right thing, trying to move on to the next thing. Um, you know, so many conversations you and I've had over the years, and you and you and your team have helped us as we've had to, you know, hit these roadblocks and try to move beyond those. And so, um, and I, I just, I love the approach. It's, it's you know, Jeff helped. reminds me of the concept, uh, let go of your ego, basically. Instead of your ego, let go of your ego. <laughs> and he's our secretary, yet he's a president of a company. So I'm always impressed with Jeff because he has yeah. no ego. But, but, but it's an important thing because as a business owner, we have an ego, right? We're starting it. It's our idea. We're building it. You bring up Hathaway, I just had coffee with Jesse. And, you know, Jesse did not have an ego. He was competitive. He wanted to grow it. But his first focus was how well his team was going to do and his people and then how well his customers were doing. You know, and he didn't have this ego. I see so many business owners where their ego gets in the way of making change. Um, and I think some of those things Jeff highlighted is that, you know, let go of your ego. <laughs> it's a hard thing for people to do. Meg, do you have any questions or um, comments for Michael? Like Jeff, more more some commentary. So I I I won't name any specific companies for confidentiality reasons, but uh, unless 
you'd like me to. <laughs> but I've been um, the beneficiary of Michael and his team's um, involvement in two different um, mid-sized companies, uh, both with some similar issues, some different ones. And I, I found it tremendously helpful personally and organizationally because you, you touched on things. There's there's strategies important. There's having the right skill set. Michael happened to be my personal counselor, if you will, consultant. And we teamed up different managers with different um, people on this team to uh, kind of look at my skill set and, you know, what really did I need to develop to grow into my management position. Um, but then also the the interpersonal aspect and, and you know, whether it was a particular tool that you used to get there or um, just experience helping people understand how they come into a situation and how this other person comes into a situation and how you can work together better if you understand those perspectives. So that um, that interpersonal uh, piece. And, and so I, lo I love the layering of um, looking at infrastructure, looking at strategy, looking at skill set, looking at personality, looking at management style. Um, and then Michael and this whole team really had a, a nice touch when it came to, you know, tamping down those egos a little bit and, and kind of pulling out people who, you know, don't tend to talk. So um, it's, it's been a very good experience. Um, so that's it for now. I'm going to think more about questions. Okay. Yeah. Vlad, thanks for your input, Blake, based on what you've heard. Yeah. Um, well, first, as a natural born contrarian, I almost never say this sentence. I agree with everything you've done. <laughs> <laughs> really appreciate your perspective. I have a question for you. I was meeting with an entrepreneur a couple of weeks ago. Um, this guy has had his company for about, I guess, about six, eight years. Mm -hmm. They just um, closed a substantial round. They mm -hmm. have 130 employees. And with that round closing, of course, they're tasked with 10xing, 20xing mm -hmm. that company. And he asked about motivating the team, you know, my, my philosophy on keeping the team motivated. Mm -hmm. My instant gut response was humans are generally motivated by stories, by goals, mm -hmm. by by human connection and not by numbers. If you get up there every month and just say, you know, bigger, better, faster is mm -hmm. our goal, you know, which he had been kind of doing. I said, I don't think that's going to really motivate your team. So I'm curious to know if you agree with that or what your advice is for somebody that's in that position that, to keep that team motivated. Yeah. So um, I'm going to, it's a two part answer for you. <laughs> First one is I don't think you can motivate anybody. <laughs> All you can do is create a motivating environment. And um, and part of that environment is what you're referring to. In fact, at the very top of the seven core areas, either break or build trust, is vision and goals. Mm -hmm. People want to be part of something greater than themselves. Yeah, they want to know that what they're doing, no matter what their roles. I was in self storage. Okay, <laughs> not a very sexy industry, <laughs> but we had everybody bought into that we were going to be the best in the industry service focus first. We all became owners. I mean, everybody, everything we, we did was living towards these this vision, this mission, and these goals. It was an amazing experience. Um, and so I think with a really clear vision, we find a lot of times people are just kind of in the day-to-day, -day, but they don't feel like the company's moving ahead or forward because they don't have anything to attach to. So if we have a really clear vision, this is where we want to go next five years. This is how we want to operate from a mission and core values. Now, how do we get there? And get the team then focused on how do we get there part, and that gets the team motivated. But you need that direction. Um, and that, at the end of the day, we, you all have seen the surveys. I mean, um, uh, SHRM, Society of Human Resource Management, does the surveys every year. 
pays like down at number eight or nine on the scale of motivation. Um, Gallup does her poll every year on employee satisfaction. 70% uh, of employees will leave for less money for a better manager. And so part of it is having that vision, those goals, and then making sure the managers are focused on what are people's actions going, helping us get there and tying that connection. Hey, thanks for the way you handled that customer. Yeah, how am I contributing? Yes, and how am I the way you just dealt with that customer is helping us get to this goal. And it's, and and But people need time. I think we live in a world where keeping busy at work hmm. is what we grew up with. And I think managers need time to be having those conversations and making sure people are feeling they have that impact as well. So you're exactly right, Mike. I think it is that that vision. I'm a big believer though, you know, I've seen people try to motivate people with money or yeah. better benefits or all those promotions, promotions, promotions all those shares, all that matters. But at the end of the day, people want to know they're contributing beyond themselves and they're creating something larger than what yeah. they can create by themselves. And the best leaders I've seen are able to do that. You know, Rick, Stillmar had this vision of where he wanted to go, or Jesse at Halfway, or even like Derek Johnson, our local city manager. He has a vision what he's been trying to do with the city, making it bike friendly. And he and stays he, true to that. That's right. Despite all the just yeah. all the, the things pressure to pull you out of it. I mean, think correct. of all the opportunities that a company goes through on the way. Because I I believe in the you don't die from lack of opportunities, yeah. right? You la you die from going after every opportunity. Yeah, I don't know if you ever uh, read the book Small Giants, and um, it was companies who chose to stay small, and that and small even like Cliff Bart's was an example. You know, he was supposed to sell the Quaker Oats, and they're about to sign the paperwork, and they're about a hundred million at the time. And he walked around the block and decided, came back, and said, "Nope." I want to stay smaller. I like what we have. And he had to buy his partner out. There's all these legal issues, but they did it. But there's a quote in the book, I'll never forget. It says, the business you say no to is more important than the business you say yes to. Mm -hmm. And there's always opportunity. And I think it's about finding the right opportunity um, and, and, and saying no to things. And I think, I think it's hard as small business owners, too, as you're growing, you want to... You need revenue, right. you know? So you say yes to, yes to a lot of things. But if you look at the stages of growth, by the time you get the uh, growth and rapid growth, you have to have narrowed your niche. This is who we service. These are people we don't service. And even in our own company, we helped start 275 local businesses here. But I was on the committee that was creating the hothouse and knowing they were coming. And I said, well, that's not a place for us to play anymore, you know? And so we had to even shift our model um and to do that and we don't work with startups anymore you know all our businesses have to be multi-million and we think they can be 10 or greater you find know? your niche and stick to it yes yeah can i ask a follow-up to that yeah have you seen a situation where a leader has kind of lost the team maybe they were in the catbird seat with their company and they're rolling along and where they kind of lost the team and what what precipitated that when you say lost or being held so meaning meaning fail to start to motivate them or create a vision or, you know, to keep them rolling. And you saw things kind of crumble or fall apart. I think it's having to get back to why they're doing what they're doing. I, th I think there's a, I think there's a thing in uh, America, right? You look at all the uh, Inc. Magazine, Forbes, who do they highlight? The, the rags of riches and 
when from here the to renegade the renegade yeah. unicorns out there right. and what happens i see a lot of times people just focus on the numbers the money right and money's an output it's uh, a result it's a result and and i think what happens right, if i start seeing a separation it means that the person is probably focused on the wrong things that they're doing um again not knowing all the specifics but we'll look at Carly Fiorina and HP. She was focused 100% on that end game. That's right. She destroyed an entire company's culture because I was part of that uh, yeah. collateral damage at IBM. I mean, there were thousands of people who lost their jobs because of Carly. Yeah. I will never support her in any way, shape, or form because I saw what she did to HP firsthand. But she was focused 100% no matter what to get to that outcome. And, and, and it, it's not sustainable. You think about that. So HP's had some rough roads. And there was a study done. Um, companies that hired MBAs um, out of like the top schools had worse sustainability than other companies because the MBAs go right to the financials. What can we do to increase short-term value? Because that's how they're being rewarded. Give me an objective. I'm going to get... That's right. I always think of Jim Collins and his 20-mile march, right? And just being consistent and going. And so I think companies, when I if I see a separation like that, there's probably a separation in the culture of what, why are we doing what we're doing and what really matters anymore? Are we really staying true to our mission? Are we just doing things to make sure we hit the bottom line? Well, yeah, has the, has the objective changed? Because I think when a leader, all of a sudden there's an there's kind of an exit, mm-hmm. and they're going to get there no matter what. And I worked for a company where come hell or high water, he was going to get to that. We didn't really know what was happening. And then when the company sold, we all said, oh, that explains why he was telling us to say whatever we had to say to make the sale, even if we couldn't do it. That's when I had to step out. Like my integrity was in check here because you're telling us to tell our customers to do things that we don't know how to do. Yeah. You know, throw your hat over the fence and go get it. But at some point, there's a whole field of hats and (laughs) your confidence that we can actually go get that hat starts to fall off. Yeah. Um, you know, when I interviewed all these entrepreneurs, one thing I can share that I, as, as a sales rep, worked with sort of middle management, upper management, and that's where all the egos were. Mm-hmm. It was once I got beyond that and want, went to talk to the owner because I interviewed them about founding the company that there was no ego. And if there was another name for the book, it was going to be, it's not about the money. But my thought was, well, nobody's going to buy a book. It's not about the money because (laughs) it's all about the money. And so I didn't call it that. But that was the one common thread with all these business owners I talked to is if you had offered them a million dollars tomorrow, they'd say, no, I'm not here for that reason. You know, whatever the number is. And maybe they do have a number, right? Mm -hmm. Jesse had a number. But uh, it wasn't... It wasn't the reason they came to work. So uh, Rick and Bob have been patiently listening on the phone and attentively. Um, I want to give you guys an opportunity to ask Michael anything you want. Bob, you're never at a loss for words, <laughs> except when you're muted. <laughs> except when I'm muted. There you go. Uh, I really don't have any any questions. I mean, I... I I've heard really great things about Michael from all the people in, in the CEO roundtables over the years. Uh, you know, so there, there's an impressive track record there that uh, I think is, is something to to be encapsulated and preserved somehow. And I, and I hope the book is is a step in that process. Uh, 
I think the, the difficulty I have with some of the things when we talk about it is, is that things get put out there as the answer, and it's almost always a balance between that answer and 14 other answers that go on the other side of the equation. And far too often, I see people that are, that are you know, striving for one particular outcome, and they might get that outcome, but the unintended consequences are drastic. And, and I, I don't think a lot of times people think, you know, for every objective that I put out there that I want to go get, there's something else attached to the other end of that string. And you better know what that is. And so I, I get leery of, of, and this is the right way. I don't think there's right ways and wrong ways. There's just balances for a particular culture. Yeah, it's but, interesting. You know, to me, Bob, at the end of the day, Again, it's about relationships mm -hmm. um, and it's how those leaders are working with the people on their team to help them achieve their objectives. That's what leadership is, is getting things done through others. And so part of it is creating the culture. Part of it is it's a complex thing. If it was easy, everyone would be doing it right. Um, but I do think it's getting clear on the why of what we're doing it and what's what our true motivation is. If it's true motivation is money. There are many companies out there that people love working for companies like that. And it's the culture and that's all their focus is. And so I do think it starts with the entrepreneur and getting really clear on what, what matters to them and what are they trying to create? And then uh, trying to attract those people around that. Um, it's kind of, it, it's a, it's a complex, there's no right answer. There's a, I call it the uh, book of the month club management. Mm -hmm. Where you know people go this this year. This is our I read this book yeah. and now this is what we need it's to the do. Answer. Or I go to a seminar and now this is what we're right. gonna do. And so every month is like strategy shift. Right. And I think leaders need to get clear on what their style of leadership is, the type of leader they want to be and how they're gonna operate. And then all the books just add to help support that versus changing direction. I think a lot of people get it gets messed up because employees are going, like, oh, they're going this way. Oh, now we're shifting here. And so it tells me the leader isn't clear on what they're really trying to do as well. Can we get a, well, slightly follow-up question. I, I agree with you, Bob. Um, there's no one answer. Back to this issue of motivation and vision that starts with the, with the leader. Um, I, I struggle with that one a little bit, having been, um, you know, in one organization that I think struggled to define that in part because um, you know, in, in this economy, we're one of, you know, many companies doing ABC. Um, and so, what, you know, what is the vision? Is it, 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 it's hard to define we're, we're doing it better or we're, you know, doing it for a higher purpose when, when six other companies are doing a similar thing. So that's part of the question. The second question is now for myself, as I'm still pretty much a solo, solo entrepreneur, my company is, is still uh, small. You know, my motivation for doing what I'm doing originally started with uh, an idea that came from my father, and I, I worked for other organizations helping them be successful in marketing, and I wanted to take something that was my own and bring it to fruition. So that was the motivation. Well, now I'm doing that thing, and that can no longer be the motivation or the vision. The vision is um, what that thing does, which is help people be independent and active. And But I struggle because I've got to motivate myself, and I've got to do a, still a lot of the implementation and so I have this dichotomy of motivation of how I'm helping my customers and making their lives better, but I'm also 
um, you know, the business side of it, and I, I you know, I have to look at the numbers. So, mm -hmm. I, if you have any insights about, you know, what is that vision, and it, is it always some lofty thing, or is it something small, or is it not necessarily even a, you know, a clearly articulated thing, but how we're going to operate? It's our values. Yeah, I think I think there and those words all get mixed in together. Yeah. But mission, vision, value, strategy, right. purpose, <laughs> purpose, right? I, I think there's a, to me, a mission statement, some people call it a vision statement, to me is part of, you know, like, we want to inspire, educate, and empower proactive leaders for breakthrough performance. So that's what we're doing. And so, and then we have our core values, we operate our four core values. Um, what I call vision is, so then, in order to do that, what do we do? What's, what are we, what are we doing the next three to five years? And what are we what are we trying to have that impact? And it's there's the financial piece, it's the type of customers we want to work with, it's um, sustainability, uh, sustainability, right? How do you, how do you stay relevant? Yeah, you know, you know, relevancy to me is always big for any organization. Um, and professional services, especially AI is coming, you know, we can't trust everything on AI yet, but you will one day. Um, and so how do you how do we stay relevant with that? And so part of it is, is trying to make sure that your mission could be that you want to help people. Um, but then what's your vision? What do, what do you want out of the business? What are you trying to create? What are you hoping to create out of this? And again, I always look at uh, what, what you want your role to be. What do you want your culture to be? Financially, what do you want? Sales and marketing, what do you want? What do you want your reputation in the marketplace to be? Then based on that, how do you build an implementation plan to make that happen? Um, the other thing you talked about, Meg, was six of you in the marketplace playing, selling the same service offering, and we're all saying we have the best service. Um, there is, I think a lot of companies don't get clear enough on who their ideal client profile is. Mm -hmm. Think about hamburgers. Whoever thought like Five Guys and Habit and Smashburger and Shake Shack, even always McDonald's and Burger King, Wendy's are already here. There's always a, someone else taking it and redefining it and, and looking at the marketplace. And I think companies don't spend enough time as they're growing to redefine who they're going after. But we have a whole list of, um, we have probably 25 pain points. If it's a sales and marketing issue, if you're dealing with these pain points, you're a right fit for us. Mm -hmm. You know, management issues, if you're dealing with one of these pain points, you're the right fit. What we learned is that when we don't get the right fit, it's costly, right? So you got a list of criteria that you check. And we interview people when they come to these. Are they the right fit for us? And I can tell you, when it is, you could I could pull out a proposal right here and say, and they're like, oh my God, you got right exactly what we were talking about. But part of it is I don't think enough people spend time on understanding what are they really solving, who is it, and who's not our customer. Mm -hmm. um, and I see sometimes everyone could be our customer. Yeah, but no. Uh, not unless you're a city and delivering water. Well, are you, are, would you consider yourself a people pleaser, though? Because if you want to please everyone, then when someone comes to you for help, you're going to figure out how to help them. I do. But we send them to SVDC. We send them to the HUD House. Send them to, we have a lot of past consultants who are operating here that we have relationships. Send them to different consultants that I know that can help them. So we'll always have a resource. That doesn't mean we have to do that. And I think one of my sabbatical made me realize that. Uh, we had taken a lot of clients on to feed the beast, <laughs> you know, uh, and so we were we lost who our, our ideal client, um, and it makes it easier. 
um, when we're competing against other folks and we're not the right fit there. Um, and so I think that's the other thing I think businesses as they grow, and that's, remember that strategy of the business owner where they need to be spending their time so that they, they part of it is a strategy and that's, gosh, are we targeting the right audience? Has that shifted for us? When was the last time we really looked at that? Um, what's going on in the marketplace? Maybe we're missing some new opportunities in the marketplace. They, those are the thinking things that the business owner should be doing instead of the doing things within the business would be an example. Well, and you Michael, I want, Go ahead, Bob. I, I wonder if I could ask a question to Michael on having to do with the transition of people from the educational model to the business model when they make that transfer over from one one domain to the other. And specifically, what I'm talking about is that in school, you're taught to be the smartest kid in the class. You're independent. You're an independent worker, and in the business world, you're taught to be the best team on the on the field. And they're they're two radically different cultures. And I wonder if you could talk about how, especially things coming up like through the hot house and that kind of stuff. You know that that stays kind of academic to till till it comes into market contact. Mm -hmm. At which time they get an attitude adjustment. But I, yeah. I wonder if you could talk about that a little bit of, of how businesses can can remake that culture as it comes across from the one right answer, smartest kid in the class, to you know it's about the team. Yeah, you know, that's probably why growing up with sixteen siblings and calling my name company name collaboration is that. Um, my my belief, the only way I could survive in my household, I had to get along with a lot of personalities, right? And um, and I think um, our schools, you know, management theory, just understanding how to manage is was 100 years old in 2018. And, um, and so if you look at management theory in the 60s and 70s, you had Maslow and Rogers, and they started to bring the humanistic side to management, which wasn't there before. It was always you're a cog, it's what you do. And so um, what's happened, our culture also has landed on the old management style. Think of Gordon Gecko from uh, Wall Street. Wall Street yeah, yeah. Greed is good. It's about me. And, our, you know, but the reality is, it's culturally shifting. Um, and if you look, the desire for people to want to work together and have longer term success has shifted. And so it's a new study of management. It's been around for about 10, 15 years. And, but part of that is we still have baby boomers. We have different uh, generations within the workplace that only know a certain way. And if you want a sustainable business, if you want a good culture with low turnover, if you want to get exceptional results, you have to be collaborative. And it's hard because our economic or academic institutions don't necessarily teach that. Um, and, and I think that's one of the challenges. And so then they come into a workplace and wait, I thought this was about me. Now it to be about we. You know? Where's my trophy? Yeah, where's my trophy? You may have to participate and be held accountable by my peers. Um and I think it's a cultural shift, Bob. And it all starts with the business owner. I am a big, I can go to an organization and if it's not uh, operating well, I always go right to the top. And it starts up there. Um, and 
the desire to build a collaborative environment is a lot of work. It takes a little bit longer. It's not consensus decision-making, but people willing to work together. And it takes a lot of development. Most of us don't know how to communicate. Most of us don't know how to have healthy conflict in the workplace. Most of us aren't patient enough. Aren't patient <laughs> enough. You know, there's a whole thing called five behaviors. It came off um, of uh, Patrick uh, Lexion's book and about these five behaviors of building trust, holding people accountable, holding them to their commitments and having healthy conflict. And I don't think people know how to do that. We're not taught that. Uh, because those are the things that create collaboration in the workplace. And so I think the proactive leaders, leaders that really want to create an amazing, profitable organization and not struggle as much, have to be collaborative. And their skills, they're going to need to learn that they probably didn't learn in school. I can't even tell you how many people we've worked with that have their MBAs or have done other stuff. And they're like, they didn't teach us any of this in school. You know, they taught this theory, and most of the school is built for big corporations. They're not teaching you what it is to run a business. They want you to be an employee. They They want you to be a good employee. That's right. Don't challenge status quo. No, and I will say that I learned more in my first year of business than I learned 10 years leading up to it. So when you are thrown out there and you're the guy in charge, you have to learn how to adapt so quickly versus an employee. You know, you're told to be in this one place. That's not your job. Don't do that. You know, you have to unlearn so much to make that leap from employee to employer yes it's it's insane what do you, um what do you, i'm curious about the shift from kind of a morass to clarity you know that's one of the things i always enjoyed about working with collaboration is we would be grappling with something and your team was always able to come in and work with us and just cut right to the chase. It would just clear, kind of clear the fog and get to, here's what we're talking about here. Jeff, whether it's us or someone um, else, having the outside perspective, because mm-hmm. I'm not cut up in the day-to-day and all the personality dynamics yeah. and all the all the other baggage that's there. Mm-hmm. We always come in and say, what are we really trying to solve here? You know, and so everyone's telling us, and we land on it. Oh my God, yes! But I think it's sometimes having that outside perspective just gives. That's why people go to counselors or whatever because you need that outside perspective when you're in the middle of it. So, just curious, like if in your business of collaboration, if you get yourself into a situation like that, which I'm sure you do, mm-hmm. like everyone, how do you handle that? You, That's a great question. I, I belong to a CEO roundtable group. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I also have had uh, many mentors. Um, unfortunately, one just passed away. I'm going to, uh, to Seattle next week, but from Shergard, one of my early mentors just passed. But um, uh, you need, I think business owners have to be open to realize they don't have all the answers. Mm-hmm. It's an ego thing again. Yeah. We're supposed to have all the answers. We're at the top. Everyone comes to us. You're the answer. expert at the day. How am I, how, if they come to me and I don't know, oh yeah. my gosh. But the reality is um, we don't have all the answers. And the more you're open to that, your employees will help you find the answers. Outside resources will. But I think people have to let go. of They don't need to have all the answers, but the answer's out there. I always say the answer's in the room. So if I'm with a company and there's an issue going in, I don't necessarily need to know that. But I know the answer's in this room. <laughs> like getting the everyone together, we can figure out what the resolution is. 
and not having to feel like I have to have the answer. One last question, because we're and Brian, on did, our hour. did Rick get a chance to talk? Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, um, Mike, Mike, we should exercise I, our manners. <laughs> uh, I, I, this was good, Mike. Thanks for participating. Thank you, the first thing I'm going to do is go get a copy of the book. Well, thank you. Appreciate um, that, Rick. No matter what you think or how well you think you're doing something, the more you think you are doing great, the more you really need somebody else to take a peek at it. So I'm, mm -hmm. this is good. I, I myself started a few companies. I'm from here, grammar school, high school, Cal Poly a couple of times. Spent a number of years with a great idea in a company and never really shared anything and thought I'd go somewhere. That burned out about after three times. And uh, about 20 years ago, I took one of my technologies and focused in a certain area. And I realized by then I'd really gone nowhere by myself. It took a while to really recognize that. So what I've done, not the same as you, because I don't have people that work for me here. They're in other countries. I have board of directors. I found the best people in each area. And I send out an email every week saying, here are my plans. Here's what I'm doing. It's just like having partners that are smarter than me giving their input. And that's how I've gone forward. But the fact is, I still want to read your book. Um, well, you know, I think you bring up a good uh uh, perspective work too. It is getting, it is a, get a board of advisors of people. I had a yep. board of advisors of early on with people with total different personality and perspectives than me. <laughs> Chris Yetter, Rob Garcia, Lee Johnson. I just had these folks. I needed your perspective because it's different than mine. Yeah. You, you know? have to be open to take that criticism and input and feedback. That's right. And, I, and, and understanding that I need some, a different view than mine. And so I think that's why is that to have the board of yeah. advisors. So anything getting insight from outside and being open to that, um, being willingness to ask for help is huge. Well, and the last question question I wanted to ask. Thank you, Rick. That was a very uh, insightful. So where where do I get the book? It's on Can Amazon. I ordered online. It's it's a really good deal on Amazon. It I is know, a really know, good. It's like deal. five dollars right. for the hardcover book. Yeah. So. Grab them while they're still in stock. They are. And he's probably got some down here in the office. I do have some here. Okay. As well at the front desk. Um, what I wanted to ask you, but kind of the last question, because I know I think there's another meeting in here once so that we one need to be is. sensitive yeah. to that. Is is there anything you learned from writing the book that you kind of didn't didn't come clear to you until you had gone through that effort? Yeah, that's a great question. I I think I learned my all. I was really hard on myself for many many years about my lack, what my view of lack of success. Everyone thought, oh, what successful he is. And yet there's many years I wasn't taking home income. <laughs> I was paying it off. If they really know the truth. Yeah. You know, that old imposter syndrome. And I think going through the book and the research we did, and I realized that I was just on my own entrepreneurial journey. And just because I was on my journey didn't mean I couldn't help others on their journey. And so that imposter syndrome kind of went away. It was funny. It was only after I wrote the book. It was like in 2017. I was like, oh, I'm kind of good at this. <laughs> you know? I've been doing it. Well, for, you've been writing for years. I remember reading your columns. Yeah, but I mean, good at like yeah. consulting. Like yeah. I, I didn't even feel like, I felt like, oh, wow, I'm, I'm kind of good at this. You know, and it, but it took, it took you me, that long. Yeah, because part of it is being understand. Um, I think 
aren't we all our harshest critics? Mm-hmm. There's always a thing to get better at and learn. Especially and with 15 it. siblings, I'm sure they reminded you. Yeah, let me tell you, always. Yeah. Um, and and so I think that was probably one of the biggest things I've learned. And and that it, I was just going through my own journey. Um, and it was no different than what my clients. I'm going through my own succession planning right now. And we've helped clients with succession planning. And let me tell you, I'm like, oh, I love the whole different perspective of all the different emotions and everything tied into that. So very good. So that's going to be my book after sabbatical. So. Well, and it's a, it's a similar thread I hear from people writing memoirs is they step away and they see their life more as a story like, oh, like all of a sudden they get distanced from it. Yeah. And when you see the, the, the words on the page, it's not so personal anymore, yes. right? Yes. That was really good uh, feedback. Well, thank you for your time, Michael. Thank you. It's a valuable hour. We're going to wrap up the Tech Reads podcast here. I'm going to stop recording. Thank you guys for um, joining us online. Thanks, Bob and Rick. Thank you for listening to Tech Reads, sponsored by SoftTech. If you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe and share it with your colleagues. If you have comments, questions, or want to suggest an author for a future episode, visit softtech at softec.org and click on the Tech Reads link.